Thanks, Stuart. Good morning, everyone. Uh, just uh, We're going to turn to God's Word in a moment, uh, to John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can open it and uh, read along. Um, but just before I we, we delve into God's Word, can I just say a couple of quick things? Um, I spend a few too many Sundays, if I'm honest, away at other churches speaking, uh, at various churches. I love it in some ways. It gives me a big picture of what's going on right across the church. But uh, can I just say, as I stand here this morning, there's no place like home. And it's good to be here, and it's good to be speaking uh, like this this morning with, with you and with uh, our church family. Um, secondly, um, the Thanksgiving appeal that, that Stuart has been, that has been highlighted at church over the past couple of weeks, um, part of that work, sorry, part of that appeal and part of the, the money, the funds that have been, uh, are being raised through that go to the United Appeal for Mission in the Presbyterian Church of Ireland, in Ireland. And I've um, just brought a little, oh my goodness, I've just brought a little leaflet with me and I've put it on the table, or put a few of them on the table at, at the back this morning. This just highlights where part of the funds go to in the work of mission in Ireland. That's some of the work that I'm involved in um, day by day and helping to support uh, the work of our church and mission uh, across Ireland. So if you want to know more, uh, then you can find out more in, in that leaflet at the back. And actually, I'll mention probably a couple of stories as we go through this morning just to help highlight some of that as well. But let's turn to God's Word, and we'll read from John chapter 4. We've been thinking a lot about hunger in the last few weeks. We're going to think a bit about thirst this morning. Uh, let's read from John chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then, sorry, ask you for a drink, you would, not, you would, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Amen. And God, or the reading of God's Word there. God, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for how it speaks to us even today. We pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives. And through the Spirit of God, would you take it and use it to equip us in our hands and in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 years ago, I think, I remember taking a group or being involved. We took a group of young people from this church to Uganda for a couple of weeks. And we had a good time. We took two teams, actually. And the second team that we were there, the second time we were there, as we were there in the yard, staying in the family home that we stayed in for, those, for that fortnight, there was a turkey who just happened to be sort of wandering around the yard most days. And uh, our young people got quite familiar and affectionate towards this turkey. I think they named him, Lauren. I don't know if you remember the name that you, the, the, the team named him. Let's say it was Larry, okay. But they got very familiar with Larry, and they talked to Larry every morning. They, they got up, and they looked out for him, and that was fine. They built a bit of a relationship with Larry. On the last day, they began to look around, and Larry wasn't there, wasn't around the yard anymore. And they were, some of them were quite perturbed about this. What had happened to Larry? Was Larry okay? Was Larry, were they going to see Larry before they left to go home? And uh, anyway, on the last evening, the family had provided an amazing uh, feast and banquet for us. <laughs> and uh, as we were enjoying the dinner and the, the food and the feast, which for the African family, you know, it was a luxury for them what they were providing for us. Um, our young people were tucking in and enjoying it. One girl in particular um, said halfway through the meal, she goes, mmm, this is lovely. And everyone agreed and the host seemed pleased. And then she asked a question, she said, what is this? <laughs> Dangerous question to ask sometimes in another country. And the answer that she got back was, it's turkey. And Megan answered, and she said, mmm, I love turkey. And then you could just see the brain ticking and her eyes widening as she slowly set down her plate and didn't touch it for the rest of the evening. It's not like you're cooking, Davey, is it? Um, she was far too familiar with the feast. She was far too familiar with what she was eating to enjoy the feast that was before her. And I think sometimes there's a danger for us when it comes to the things of faith, that we can become, certainly for some of us or those of us who have been around here for a while, have been around the things of God for a while, that there is a danger that sometimes we can become over-familiar, too familiar, so familiar with the things of faith that actually we don't enjoy the feast that is set before us. I remember leading a, a, a Christian group, let's just say, and two fairly new Christians joined it. They took their place among a group of fairly seasoned Christians. But that evening, I noticed that those two newcomers were the only ones who had brought their Bibles, the only ones who took notes through the teaching, and the only ones who shared prayer requests about friends who didn't know Jesus. There's no criticism of the rest of us, perhaps, 
But when they le- when, whenever I left that night, I was so challenged by their hunger. They had a thirst. They had a hunger. And I realized that I'd become too familiar to enjoy the feast. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about the idea of spiritual hunger. What are we hungering after? That's a good question for us to ask ourselves. What are we hungering after? What truly satisfies our hunger? And today's passage, this story from John chapter 4, leads us to think more actually about thirst than hunger. But before we get too much into the, the story, let me point out a few specific and practical details about the story. Because we are told the location, the time, and the energy levels of Jesus. Now, for some of us, we might think those are just trivial details. Why on earth does the gospel writer John include these kind of things in the story? We're told in verse 7, sorry, in verse 5, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So the location is a well in Samaria. Keep that in your mind. The time we are told that it was around noon, some of you are like, who cares? But we'll come back to that later. And then in terms of Jesus' energy levels, we're told how they're doing. We're told that he is both tired and thirsty. Isn't the honesty of the gospel writers great? Jesus was tired. It might seem like a trivial detail, but it's important not to miss because it reminds us of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus got tired. The one who spans time needed to rest and sleep. Jesus got thirsty. The one who had filled the oceans needed something in a cup to drink. The Savior needed siesta. I couldn't resist that one, sorry. The Messiah needed minerals, sorry. Um, but, but don't miss, okay, don't miss the humanity of Jesus in this moment. In a couple of months, I think we will sing these words. For he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness. And he shareth in our gladness. Maybe it's too early to think about Christmas. Um. I can't wait to sing that song, by the way, because I actually believe carols are the best worship songs ever, okay? So, and I think this is an amazing truth, okay? An amazing truth for us to remember. And maybe today you need to be reminded in your weakness and in your humanity or in your sadness or in your pain that he understands, that he empathizes because he's been there. Back to the location for a moment. John tells us that the well was in a town in Samaria. But why is that significant? Well, up until this point in John's gospel, Jesus had been calling disciples and doing miracles in Galilee. He'd been clearing the temple courts and speaking to religious leaders in Jerusalem. But as we turn over the page, this event in chapter 4 signifies a shift in the story as we suddenly find Jesus not in Jerusalem and not in Galilee where he grew up or where he was expected to be among God's people in the nation and among the people of God as had been the story throughout the Old Testament. But we turn over the page and there's a shift in the story because we suddenly find Jesus in Samaria. What's he doing there? It appears to be the first place that the gospel is preached beyond Israel. 
in the story in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is showing that God's blessing breaks through cultural barriers. God's blessing breaks through cultural barriers. See, we know that Jesus was on a journey from Judea to Galilee. But while the road through Samaria was the shortest route, that might seem the obvious way to go. But Jews often avoided it because they carried a deep distrust and a dislike towards the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. They were enemies. They were second-class citizens in their eyes. They were beyond the chosen people of God, undeserving of His grace and His favor. The text said that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now, it's hard to know whether the need of Jesus to go through Samaria was because of some travel arrangements, maybe some practical necessities, maybe he needed to see someone or pick something up along the way. We don't know. But maybe there were people there who Jesus needed to meet. Story suggests that. Jesus needed to go through Samaria perhaps because he was keen to display who exactly he had come for. And that the kingdom that he had come to establish wasn't just for an inner crowd, but it was for all people. And maybe that's what this story is here to show. Jesus was beginning to show to his disciples, first of all, and then to the uh, wider, uh, and then to the world, that his love and his grace and his activity are not restricted to any one people group. It might seem an obvious thing for us to understand now, perhaps, but to the people of God at the time, this was a shift. His actions point to the mission of his Father, to bless all peoples on earth. You know, heaven will not be monocultural. God is the God of all nations. No nation on earth can lay claim to him. No culture or nation where his presence cannot touch. The psalmist wrote, the whole earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. But the woman too, she understood the cultural barriers in play here. The woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. She knew, she understood. She knew that Jews refused to associate with Samaritans. And not only was she a Samaritan, but she was also a woman. And that appears to be an unusual discussion. And it's an unusual interaction because later on in verse we didn't read this morning, we're told that Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised. Why were they surprised? They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. God's blessing breaks through our barriers. And we should be thankful for that. Because the kingdom Jesus came to establish broke through the barrier between God and humanity for a start. The barrier of sin that divides us from the holiness of God was bridged by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And it made a way for people like you and I, because we too are outsiders to the covenant of God. And it made a way for us to be welcomed into his family. But it also provides a way for the people of different nations and different races and tribes and tongues to enter into unity together as the family of God. The growth of the gospel wasn't just geographical growth to new places. It was cultural expansion to different people. Who do you count out? Who do you overlook? Is there any part of you that carries a Jonah-like spirit, wishing that God wouldn't redeem them? Yesterday, I listened to an Irish nationalist Where did I listen to him? I listened to him preach at a Presbyterian conference that we organized 
to encourage and support church planting, doing the work of mission on behalf of our church. God's blessing breaks through cultural barriers. Earlier this year, I sat in this type of setting, a Bible study as a minister, spoke through a translator to around 70 or 80 Farsi, trans, sorry, Farsi speakers in South Belfast. Many of these, these people were part, ended up as part of an Alpha course, which resulted in over two dozen baptisms in a nearby Presbyterian congregation earlier this year. No one is beyond the reach of God. This blessing breaks through cultural barriers. I think of the work of David Moore, a minister and working in West Belfast, who began to serve the people there around a year ago and describes how he's been made to feel welcome within that community, even when he has clearly explained who he is and what the church has called him to do. In recent months, he's begun a new Bible study, meeting on Thursday evenings, rented in, uh, meeting in rented premises on the Falls Road with a small number of people gathering for Bible study every week. Don't count people out. And a few weeks ago, I visited the Presbyterian Church in Galway, and this is what that congregation looks like. Do not tell me, by the way, that there's such a thing as typical Presbyterian, because these are your brothers and sisters in the west of Ireland. Every tribe and tongue, God's blessing breaks through cultural barriers. Are we prepared to as well? Secondly, God's blessing satisfies our thirst. On a practical level, it's obvious this woman was thirsty. She'd come to a well to draw water, and so it seems obvious she was thirsty. Yet it seems that she was thirsting for so much more. How do we know that? Well, remember the time that was mentioned earlier, the practical detail of the time. It was around noon. Well, typically women came for water earlier in the day in this culture, and it was typical that they came in groups. So why the strange hour, and why was she alone? It suggests to us that she may have been a social outcast, shunned by other women in her very own community. And her dialogue with Jesus suggests this. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. With prophetic insight, Jesus reveals this woman's relationship history to her. It seems she was thirsting for love, for acceptance, but she hadn't yet found it. This woman had thirst, not just physically, but spiritually. I don't know, for those of you who are, let's just say, my age and above, if you remember the old Sprite advert that carries the famous slogan, Obey Your Thirst. And uh, in some ways, it was a great advert, by the way, but in some ways, it's quite a dangerous sentiment. Whatever you're longing for, whatever you're thirsting for, just obey that. Go for it. In many ways, though, people everywhere are thirsty. Everyone is thirsty. Everyone is hungry. Everyone is longing for something that they might not have. John Stott, great preacher, believed that everyone in the world was hungry or thirsty for three things. Okay, you ready for some big words? Here we go. Lock your brain into gear for a couple of minutes. They, They were hungry. He said you could boil everything in the world, everyone's want or desire or need, down to one of three things fell into these three categories. Transcendence, come back to that in a moment. Transcendence, uh, significance, and community. Significance and community are easy, but transcendence is the pursuit of something beyond ourselves. I think you could say in society, we've moved from being a religious society to being a spiritual one. 
seen in the growth of spiritual mediums or fortune tellers, authors like Jordan Peterson or podcaster Joe Rogan, or even to people turning to prayer in times of crisis. There is a thirst for transcendence. The, the phrase of the Alpha Course sums that up. Is there more to life than this? Many people realize they're, they're, they're thirsting for something more. People also thirst for significance, desiring that their lives would have meaning in some way. We want to be part of things that matter, to give ourselves to causes or campaigns. Whether it's a climate change movement or political campaigns or charity volunteering, there's a basic human desire for our lives to have significance and meaning. And then there's a thirst for community, a basic need to belong somewhere. We want to be known. We want to fit in. We want to find connection. You'll find it at the local park run on a Saturday morning, spin classes before work. That's why people throw themselves into online connection as well. There's a basic need for a community. I wonder if one of those three things would sum up something that you're hungering or thirsting after. In many ways, these aren't bad things. They're basic human needs, and they're very natural. But if we seek the answer of these things solely in the world out there, all we will ever discover is a pale shadow of what can only truly and ultimately be found in fullness through Jesus Christ where we submit ourselves to a transcendent God who rules and reigns on a heavenly throne, and He offers us connection to Him through relationship with His Son and the constant presence of His Holy Spirit. That is transcendence. And we're in Christ, we discover the significance of who we are, and He draws us into His mission in the world that He invites us to be part of. We find significance in that mission. Or as we take our place here within His body, the church, we can find fellowship and belonging and friendship and connection. His spirit for transcendence, His mission for significance, His church for community. This is good news for you and for everyone. God's blessing satisfies the hunger and the thirst within us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God's blessing satisfies our hunger and our thirst. And Jesus offers this woman the solution to satisfy her thirst. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's true for the things in the world. We, we can go after these things in whatever way, we, in whatever form we can try to find them, but while they might help us for a while, they will not satisfy the basic belonging within us. But Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up in them to eternal life. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. God's blessing satisfies our thirst. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And this woman needed this. There, is, there can be an assumption with this woman that her relationship status points to her immorality. And that could well be true. In some instances of her life, we're not told. But it's important to realize that in the culture at that time, men could divorce women with a word. She would have had few rights and maybe very little say. And so the fact that she had, she had had five husbands perhaps points more to how she had been mistreated rather than her own immorality. To those who have been hurt or mistreated, 
Jesus stops. He stoops. He listens. And in a way that no one else can, he responds with time and grace, offering forgiveness that gently points the way to the Father. To all who are thirsting for acceptance, his blessing can satisfy that thirst. And the woman's response shows that. Because at the end of the conversation, she goes back to her town to tell others about Jesus with many believing in him because of her testimony. And that brings me to my final point this morning. Because God's blessing leads to worship. For the woman, she is clearly struck by this prophet that's standing before her. This prophet who has broken down cultural barriers and spoken into her situation so clearly with grace and truth. And so she wants to respond She wants to do something. She feels compelled in her heart and in her spirit to respond. And she wants to know and she asks Jesus. She she wants to understand. She knows that her response involves worship because her question involves worship. The woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's right about the need for worship. She understands that. She gets that. She feels compelled to worship, and she wants to find out how that should happen, how that should take place. But while she's right about the need for worship, she wrongly assumes that the worship of God is restricted to a specific location, a mountain that Samaritans believed represented a place of special blessing. She wants to argue, are you right or are we right? Do we worship here? Do we worship in this way? Do we worship in this form? Who's right? Tell me what to do and I'll worship. But Jesus helps her to understand that the nature of true and proper worship, he points her back to, sorry, points her forward to a time when worship would no longer be focused on places, neither Jerusalem nor a holy mountain, but on a person. A time is coming, he says, and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. His work was going to bring a more spiritual worship, not one based on a geographical location or a political ideology, but worship that was in spirit and in truth. God's blessing leads us to worship. As we meet Jesus, as we see him, as we discover more, as we plumb the depths of his word and our faith, we can discover much more about him, but it leads us not just to an intellectual response in our head, but to a form of worship in our hearts that should ultimately flow into our lives. God's blessing leads us to worship, and it's worship in two kind of directions. Worship in truth that affirms who Jesus is and roots us in the great biblical traditions of faith, but also worship in the Spirit where we can come alive through the Spirit of God that leads us into life and power and freedom. Not either or, but both. We need to worship Jesus in truth. We need to worship Him in spirit. So what does hunger and thirst look like today? Well, it looks like worship in spirit and in truth. What is true and proper worship? Paul answered that in his letter to the Romans. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Offering all of us, not just a part. And I know Stuart's been reading quite a bit of Duncan Campbell recently. don't know if you finished that book, Stuart, you were mentioning a couple of weeks ago. Well, here's my favorite Duncan Campbell quote. The kingdom of God 
is not going to be advanced by our churches being filled with people, but by people being filled with God. Let me tell you about John. John attends that church I showed a photo of earlier on the west coast of Ireland. And while there's nothing particularly interesting about that or even about him, let me tell you about John's journey to church each week. But before I do, just have a think about how you got here this morning, how long it took you, and perhaps how convenient that might be for you. Because in contrast, John lives in an island off the west coast of Ireland. And to attend his church in the city of Galway, he needs to get a boat. And because there are no boats that go out early enough on a Sunday, he leaves his house on a Saturday afternoon to get a boat and travel then to shore and then get on a bus to get to a church member's house to stay the night with them, attend church on a Sunday morning before getting back on a bus to get him back to the boat to arrive home in time for Sunday evening before he goes to work on a Monday. What does hunger and thirst for worship look like? Then there's Tim and Ina, two really ordinary church members in their 50s who for over 10 years have been opening their home every Tuesday and Thursday, each week, every single week, to help facilitate a men's Bible study group and a women's Bible study group in a growing church plant north of Dublin. What does hunger look like today? And yet it goes far beyond raised hands in the sanctuary, but it's displayed in our devotion to Jesus in every area of our lives out there in society. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my every part. Lord, receive a sacrifice of a broken heart. I want to say today, many of you know it, that we can be satisfied by Jesus. Just consider him for one moment. Because every beauty in the world we see reflects him. Every evil we experience in the world will face him. Young and old magnify him. Sinners look to him. Melodies lift him. Preachers showcase him. Rocks and shepherds, marriages, vines, bread and water all hold metaphors of him. Death is dead before him. Heaven stretches to hold him. And creation itself sings his glory. Everywhere we turn, he can be found. He is inescapable, yet we want to capture him. And we long for the day that we'll see him face to face. God's blessing leads us to worship. So, Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? Savior, what can be said? What can be sung as a praise of your name? for the things you've done. My words could not tell, not even a part, of the debt of love that is owed by this thankful heart. God's blessing breaks through any barrier, any barrier here on earth or cultural barriers. God's blessing will satisfy us. And God's blessing should and does lead us to worship. Let's pray. I think we're doing okay for time this morning. Let's just take a moment just to pause and reflect. Still our hearts. To consider what God might be saying to you, underlining to you, challenging you on, or even just 
leading you in your heart towards. Lord God, thank you that your blessing breaks through cultural barriers because we needed it. The barrier between us and you, the barrier between our brokenness and your holiness, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that paves a way for us to be in relationship with you. Thank you for the story that highlights our own need, our own brokenness, and how you reached down to us. Father, also give us a heart for others in the world around us. Rather than putting walls up around us, may you enable us to be carriers of your love and your blessing to other people as well, no matter who they are. Help us as a church to break down cultural barriers, both within us and around us. Father, we pray today for those in our world and in our society and even in this community who might feel a sense of brokenness and weariness and weakness and heaviness this morning, would they know your presence? Would they experience your love and your grace and your acceptance as they come to you? Help them turn to you in their weakness. May they, know that you, may they find and discover that you satisfy every hunger and thirst within us. May we look for the solution to our hungers and thirst in you. And lead us, Jesus, to worship as we see you more fully, as we glimpse you more greatly. Help us and lead us to worship. Yes, in here as we meet as the people of God, but also flowing out of here into every avenue and area of our lives. We offer up our lives to you, Jesus, in spirit and truth. So take our lives as an offering as we seek to serve you in these days. Hunger and thirst and after, after you. And as we do, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, may we be filled by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand and worship?